Welcome to the Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank podcast, a series designed to give you real-world examples from thought makers in financial services and beyond. If you haven't grabbed your copy yet, check out thinklikeabrandbook.com. Let's go. All right. My guest today is Michelle Toll. Michelle has been a community banker since 1998. So clearly started in banking as a child, her reputation and work in the industry speaks for itself. My personal experience of Michelle is that she is truly legacy ditching and data led. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation today. Welcome, Michelle. Hello, Allison. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, let's, let's just confirm, because I like to confirm these on each episode, you and I have talked, so you have read the book. You've been kind enough to post about that on LinkedIn. So first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your support. You're welcome. And it's a pleasure. The the book is a great read and it's so translatable beyond banking. I think, you know, certainly every banker needs to read this book. And it's certainly one that should be gifted across the industry. Um, it just has such great messages. You and Liz did a fantastic job. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. So let's let's just dive in. Um, you know, it can feel risky to reject conventional wisdom. And we talk about that a good bit in the book. But I mean, that's really exactly what, what you're about, I think. Um, how do you keep that mindset going personally? Well, it's, I believe, driven by curiosity. And I love to embrace divergent thinking, um, not to create challenges, but I, I personally do not want to be trapped in a group think situation. Mm. And I can't embrace group think. And so I have to fully explore alternate solutions. And and then, and only then, will I have a sense that I can truly kind of harvest those ideas so that ultimately, if I am in a group situation, we can hopefully converge on a a great solution. And one of my um, nerdy aspects about who I am is I am just, a voracious research-oriented person. I mm. love digging into data. I love reading about what's going on in the industry. And I stretch my thinking across a lot of different spectrums, even in the spaces in banking where I am truly not an expert. So I love learning and I love challenging my own thinking just as extensively as I can. And I find it really interesting to see where conversations can go when you are thinking about something in an alternate, you know, kind of challenging way that creates then potentially limitless possibilities um, for great ideas and good dialogue. And that is when I think truly that innovation emerges. Hmm. And so if you're sitting at a table, right, a bunch of you are all sort of, you know, thinking and scrumming, you know, sometimes you get a sideways look when you plop in that or sort of lob in that alternate idea. And 
people who are maybe looking at their watches saying, okay, I thought this meeting was going to be short and sweet. And, um, <laughs> and we, you know, we thought everything was settled here. Um, but if it's not a crazy idea that you log out there, then that's really when the fun begins, right? Because it's all about trying to create buy-in if you can. And then suddenly that look that you got from across the table, that scowl, right? It, it turns into uh, an illuminated smile, if you will, because, you know, one of the things about me that kind of made me different when I got into banking is I was truly an accidental banker. I never set out to be a banker. My background was in HR. And uh, I basically, uh, from the very beginning of my career in banking, I always looked at how important communication was. I loved and embraced the people first approach. And I was always thinking about organizational development. And banking to me in the beginning was a foreign language. So I had to decode the regulations. I had to understand what does this system and this process mean? So I looked at everything with very fresh eyes, but with an alternate perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that lens um, helped me to bring value to the bank, but it always made it fun and interesting because I felt like I was constantly learning. Got it. Yeah, no, I think this is such a good time of year, right? As we kind of get to the end of the year to to talk about committing to continuous learning. And, <laughs> and as someone who, uh, I just think the way people look at me is just sideways glances anyway. So it, I really like the, the way you talk about, you know, when you kind of lob that in there and, and, and how to work through that. So, um, very cool. Very cool. All right. So to test your memory, cause you were one of the, the early, early adopters, the early readers, there were five principles in the book, and I'm I'm curious which one was your favorite and, and why. So I really liked, it was hard to pick, by the way. Yes, but the one that really resonated for me was product isn't what it used to be. Mm. Okay. And, you know, and I believe this is just me, uh, but the, to me, that really got to the heart of the book's message. And when you started pulling in examples about this is how a bank describes, you know, a process or a product, and right. this is how this is how a customer should see it. Um, and I believe that, you know, banks, you know, especially the ones that are still kind of trapped in this legacy space, they, they get stuck in that bank speak, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that really inhibits them from communicating effectively with the customer about their products. Right. And when they start, if you can kind of break down the elements like you did, you have, you know, great diagrams and you use wonderful examples. Um, but when you break down the elements, and you can translate those to better appeal to your customer's actual needs, then what happens just naturally and kind of organically is you start to unpackage your vision and your mission. Right. And then that, you know, what happens is your 
it evokes your brand ultimately. So mm-hmm. when you when you allow your product to be um, kind of communicated in such a way that you're addressing your customer needs, they connect emotionally, and and that is very important in the way that you use words and the way your company communicates your messages. So if you can find that brand voice, you know, and own it, better yet, really truly embrace it. And as you've said in the book, you know, really truly live it, then that perception um, is, is that critical element that you really need to command. And one of the ways that I feel very strongly about, and you used this word in the book, and, you know, you have to be truly authentic about how you do it. Right. And and that is really the best way to make that human connection. So if you know your niche, you know, which you are really good at, you know, that whole niche space, mm-hmm. and we've talked so much about that, you know, right. uh, across the banking industry, but when you create that niche, and you make that human connection, you then can create a really compelling use case, right? And you can drive the message home so much easier, it becomes so much more fluid. And then you just do that again and again and again. (laughs) Right. So it's it's that consistency, right? Going back to the systemic approach that embodies everything you do. Got it. Oh, that is, that is such good advice. I love that. Well, let, let's switch gears a little bit. So, um, and you and I were kind of talking a little bit before, before I hit record, um, you know, Liz and I have several one-liners and, and different quotes in the book. And, and we actually threw all of those into some slides, uh, which we put on our website that folks can kind of just pull down and use. I'm, I'm also curious if there's one or more um, of those that, that really kind of stuck out to you. Oh, for sure. Um, You know, and I, when I was going through the book, Allison, it was like really hard. Like I wrote down a ton of quotes (laughs) and then, you know, I went back and I looked at the ones that are in the, in the PowerPoint, you know, when you actually sign up on the website Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I had to pause and think, why did she pick these? Why did these really speak to her of all the really great content that's in the mm. book in terms of, you could come up with just a ton of quotes. Um, but the one that I really liked um, that was in your PowerPoint that you extracted from the book was, mindset matters. You have to establish a brand first mindset that internally before you can connect as a brand. Right. And I really like that one because that speaks to my HR and organizational development background. Mm. Uh, This quote to me goes to the heart of of how important a brand needs to be when attempting your organizational design. It has to be sewn into it. It has to become the fabric of the organization. Um, You know, it, it should envelop and permeate everything. And so that brand first mindset is you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It, you can't just send a memo out and expect everyone to say, okay, tomorrow, this is going to be our brand. Right. It's, you know, it, it's, it, it, it happens over time because it becomes a very deliberate way of how you act and function. And so communicating the brand effectively to the internal stakeholders has to be priority number one. And the steps, you know, that you need to strategically execute that 
brand effectiveness and, and, and the culture evolution that needs to happen must be staged very deliberately, and it has to be understood by all, embraced, and most importantly, celebrated. So aligning the team with that vision and creating that sort of, you know, leading brand first mindset requires so much commitment. And again, as I said, consistency. No, and I, I, the consistency part is one, you know, as, as I'm having these conversations with folks about, you know, how they've applied the principles or just some of the thinking um, that word comes up quite a bit because you're right. I mean, if it was easy, <laughs> there would be no need for the book. We would have all done this by now. Um, it's, it's not easy, right? People do tend to kind of make those assumptions when they think about, you know, we talk about brand people thinking it's soft and fluffy, or it's just, you know, picking your colors, but, but you're right. There's a consistency to it. It's a way of working. And, and I think you're, your background particularly um, is an interesting one to take because you're right, organizational design. And we talk a little bit about that as well in terms of modernizing roles and, and really kind of thinking about that um, in a different way. So um, got it, good stuff. All right, you mentioned voracious earlier. You're a voracious researcher. I think you're also a voracious student of the game. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if there are brands you've encountered recently inside or outside of financial services that you think are like, feel that they're really getting it right. That would have been good examples in the book. If we were to go back and rewrite it, which we are not going to do. Liz has, <laughs> Liz has called me several times. She's like, you keep saying on the podcast, Oh, this would have been good. We should rewrite the book. We should put this back in. We're not rewriting the book. But suspending reality, if we could, what would you what would you kind of put in there as some some good examples? Well, so I recently um, was out with my husband, and and we live in a in a boating community um, that has a, a kind of a, a reputation for having a lot of wooden beautiful boats. And there is a dealership that's relatively new that specializes in wooden boats and, you know, kind of the vintage wooden boats where you, you know, might evoke like the 40s and 50s. And um, they have a lot of Crisscraft boats in the showroom. And my husband and I, we have a modern Crisscraft. We love our boat. And, but one of the things we can't do is we cannot. Um, you know, help but sort of reflect on the beautiful era of the wooden boats and especially the crisscross boats. Mm. So when you think about crisscraft, you know, they basically um, have these beautifully designed boats and, and their vision is to build these boats. And they say, we build our boats to stand out in a sea of sameness. So their product, you know, is a boat, but that boat is not their brand. You know, their brand right. speaks to their wooden boat heritage, and it's everything that they stick to. They're consistent with this message. They they focus on 
uh, you know, classic design, high quality design. We're made in America with pride. And so much so that you fly an American flag off the back of your boat. Hmm. It's a it's a very distinctive brand and they're very uncompromising. I even went to the Crisscraft factory to go and and watch how they built these boats. And it's it's oh. very it's a it's a legacy. It's it's a lot of heritage, and Crisscraft is considered a luxury brand. So when you have a modern Crisscraft in the water next to another brand of boat, even though now the boat's all you know made it's made with fiberglass hull, the boat is still very highly highly distinguishable. You know the lines are such the colors they use, and they still have you know a fair amount of wooden trim inside the boat. So the modern Crisscraft today potentially still has the possibility of becoming an heirloom boat, just like their wooden predecessors, providing you really take care of it. So this is a brand that speaks to basically their unwavering commitment to beautiful and qualitative design that stands the test of time. Mm. Wow. I, I kind of want to feel like I want to come check that out. That's that's a good. <laughs> I'm like that's really cool. Um, good deal. Any, yeah, yeah. You have another one you want to share? Yeah, I do have another yeah. one. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's one that will speak to the Epicurean in you. Okay. It's, you know, it's the the La Crusade French cookware. Mm, you know, especially yes. their Dutch oven, right? That famous mm -hmm. cast iron beautiful enamel coated Dutch oven and, and you know and it, it's you know highly sought after you know people who consider themselves to be you know uh seeking that Epicurean kind of you know space or the serious Epicureans they this is what they select and there is so much tradition behind this brand um, you know, it's been uh, manufactured in France since 1925, and, and the brand just speaks with such authenticity. They have such superior quality, and the design is what truly sets them apart. And although that there are copycats, and, you know, and some are pretty good, yeah. uh, the, the La Crusade brand is not inexpensive. And so people will you know, it almost becomes a little cult-like. They, they're going to spend the extra money so that they can have their La Crusade Dutch oven on top of their stoves, like a piece of art or right. a status symbol, right? And they're going to pick the color that speaks to them. You know, the company basically has done a wonderful job at staying steadfast to their basic principles and values and their quality. And they truly found their niche. And their tribe, as we, you know, refer to the tribe piece, their tribe found them. And so the sustainability and the timelessness of those products really speak to their brand because they've gained trust with a lifetime guarantee. And there's a lot of great stories about them honoring that lifetime guarantee. Um, they famously stand behind it. So their pieces are often passed down to younger generations. You know, oh, I inherited my my aunt's uh, La Crusade oven. And um, they remain relevant generation over generation. So I think they're a great, a great story when you talk about how important brand is. 
No, I love that. And I think to draw kind of a connection back to financial services, right? I mean, I think the goal so many of us have is, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, your bank relationship or even your wealth management relationship was something you were so, you know, inspired by, so happy with, so proud of that you would want to pass that along, right? I think that's an assumption we're sort of making as as wealth transfer happens that the folks we're transferring it to are going to continue down the same financial relationships we have, but it's uh, it's not a foregone conclusion. So I think there's there's work to do to to make that happen. Um, but those are those are two really, really good ones. Wow. I those are good. I'm like, I'm just sort of thinking of myself like, yeah, I feel the same way. I have a I have a blue one uh, for my kitchen and I would never give it up. So I think <laughs> Well, Michelle, this has been, it's just been a fun conversation. It's been good to, to catch up with you after a while. And um, I just, I appreciate so much, not just the content you put out there, um, but also just what you, what you add to, to other people's thoughts and, and ideas. Um, I love the, the comments that you make and it's just, um, it's great to kind of follow along with you and, and see how your brain's working. Well, thank you, Allison, and I'm going to be closely watching you because I have a sense <laughs> that this, I have a sense this is not going to be your last book, and I, I have a suggestion for you. I think okay. a, a, fun, a fun book to write would be, you know, kind of dabbling around the influencer space and, you know, the difference between their brand and the products they promote. I think that could be a whole oh. other book. Yes. And, and, you know, because that's such a compelling space today and it's growing. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't think banks yet really fully understand how they could embrace the influencer space. And, you know, so they're sort of lagging there. And as you look to um, brand to the millennials who connect with this type of uh, marketing and product uh, showcasing, there's got to be some some space there where where banks can find some kind of happy medium that might allow this to work for them. Ooh, I love that idea. All right. If if I do it, I'll, I'll put you in the acknowledgments. How about that? <laughs> well, have a really great day. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you today. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>